Hey guys, and thank you for tuning in to the Demon Time Podcast. This is Demon Time Chris here, and on this podcast, it's just basically the audio versions of all of my YouTube videos. So if you like the audio version, it's cool. Just hit me up with a five-star rating and a review. That will help out a lot, and I will continue to churn these puppies out as much as I can. So yeah, thank you again. And if you want the full experience, please head to my Demon Time channel on YouTube and you can see all the sight gags and things like that. But thank you and enjoy. Which is all. Air capital of the world. Populated city in the entire state of Kansas. Known mainly for its robust agriculture, for its airplane manufacturing, and the birthplace of famous franchises like White Castle and Pizza Hut. Big city with a little town feel. Home of friendly people, tranquil scenery, and suburban living. Most would consider a safe place. Some will probably consider Wichita boring. Others will consider Wichita a hidden American gem. But one man will consider Wichita its hunting ground. See, the boring and safe nature that Wichita brings is the perfect cover that this man needs to operate. Much so stumping and evading local and federal law enforcement close to 30 years. His day-to-day -day fits the mold and spirit of Wichita. His actions are something from hell. Going by the moniker BTK, he will become the boogeyman of Wichita, causing havoc and despair everywhere he goes. Literal wolf in sheep's clothing. Question is, who is BTK? Guys, and welcome to the Demon Time channel. My name is Demon Time Chris. On this channel, I like to cover everything from horror movies to true crime, everything in between. Because I like to connect them, but expand upon the lore to have a little fun. Today, we're going to be covering the infamous BTK. His upbringing, his atrocious acts, inevitable capture. Before I start, like, comment, and subscribe, as well as hit the little notification bell for new videos. And lastly, thank you for watching. Now, becoming the Wichita's boogeyman must mean he probably had a really rough upbringing in this case really doesn't before we start let's first put a name on this monster His name is dennis lynn raider born march 9th of 1945 from parents william elvin raider military veteran and dorothea may raider a bookkeeper oldest of four siblings as well as having loving and caring grandparents from both sides of the family Dennis pretty much had a normal boring and safe upbringing idealistic living situation that most people has either have or want now the thing about Dennis the only struggle that I guess you can pinpoint in his life is that parents worked a lot had four boys and they had to maintain the household so him and his siblings would jump around from grandparents' house to grandparents' house to help out and chip in as much as they could. Now, although they were very busy, I wouldn't quote unquote call them neglectful. William was pretty much everything for Dennis. His main inspiration and pretty much the catalyst into becoming a pillar in his community. The amount on everything from sports to being an outdoorsman as well as being part of the church pretty soon part of the boy scouts mother on the other hand she just loved him and cared for him as much as he could this wasn't enough for dennis now hearing this is pretty much a dream-like scenario and parents loving grandparents supportive siblings for dennis it wasn't enough see dennis has something that i would like to call a woe is me victim mentality he seems to be the type of person that feels like the world is against him though that his family are just trying to give him stable livelihood 
And this is the first instance of his narcissism. Like, he doesn't seem to realize that there's four mouths to feed and a household to maintain. Because of this, he does feel like he needs to rebel. See, from his dark tendencies, they tend to escalate quickly. There was reading true crime magazines and then true crime books. Then it went on drawing ropes and chains on girls on magazines. Then it escalated even more when he started harming animals that strayed into his grandparents' farm. In this case, if you're well-informed in true crime or know anything from true crime, this is what it considered one of the McDonald's triad factors. So in the McDonald's triad, there's three things. Animal abuse, arson, and bedwetting. It's not concrete. Most serial killers have all three. Some have two out of the three. Some have one out of the three. Some don't even have any of the three. In this case, Dennis has one of the three. Now, it doesn't mean that if you do one of those three factors, you're automatically considered a serial killer. It's that most serial killers have one who or all three of those factors, or in most cases, none. Like I said, very rapid from drawing bondage on women, learning about true crime, killing animals, to then escalating in stealing underwear and wearing them while no one's around to potentially later stalking see around the fifth grade that's when he really started fantasizing on hurting women started fantasizing on hurting classmates teachers and he recalls that one time on the fifth grade he stalking his fifth grade teacher all the way to her house saw her undress on multiple occasions he decided to her clothesline tie himself up and pleasure himself as she was undressing thinking that she was being bound and tortured by him this is something that will go on into his adulthood and which is crazy because no one seemed to notice none of this but his fascination really became concrete on torturing women was when his mother was cleaning the living room and her hand got stuck in between the couch as she was vacuuming and her ring got caught on a couch spring. That little mini freak out that she had during that moment fascinated him and it pretty much went on from there. Throughout the years, he will mold this obsession as he gained more knowledge from crimes and from other serial killers. The one he recalls the most is the Cutter family murders, where two people go inside the family house bind, torture, and kill the family members. Steal a radio from this event on pretty much gave him the go-ahead, the green light to commit the acts that he's going to commit later on in the future. Now, you may be asking yourself, this is a lot. This is a whole bunch of shit happening all at once. Was it that nobody ever suspected him? But the thing is, Dennis is really good at hiding that. He has something called cubing. It's his form of compartmentalization. Basically, just like a die, like a dice. There's six sides to a die. Dennis, every side of that die is a different person. For example, if he's at work, he is work Dennis. If he's at home, he's family Dennis. If he's at church, he's church Dennis. Every personality is a different side of a die. Now, the only downfall of this is that one personality cannot bleed into the other. For example, if he's at work and you talk about family, he'll start getting agitated because he's not in the mood, in the mode to talk about family while he's at work. Some sort of sense of control with Dennis. He likes to control the scenario that's all around him. As long as you don't really talk about anything else 
depending on what he's doing, he should be fine. And on the sixth and final die would be his dark side. All in all, even with all the fantasies and all the dark tendencies, he still hasn't acted upon them. So right now, they're just weird little fetishes that he conjures up in his mind. They do escalate a lot. See, one thing that Dennis really wanted to do was have a silo. <laughs> one of the things that Dennis really wanted to do was to have a silo of torture, which he had machines to torture women, train to run them over, a whole bunch of shit inside that silo. He always imagined a silo of torture. A form of fantasy that only he can conjure up and doesn't really make sense. And mind you, he's like 15, 16 thinking of this. He always wanted to hurt people, but he never acted upon it because though Dennis has this victimhood mentality, he's also a coward. He's the quiet kid in the back who doesn't talk to nobody. He just thinks quietly about these actions and never acts upon it. Even though with those dark tendencies, he lived a pretty mediocre life. From 1964, he graduated from Wichita Heights, where he attended a Wesleyan University from 1965 to 1966, but then drop out after one semester and enlist in the Air Force from an antenna technician, do his basic in Texas, and later be based in Mobile, Alabama. Now, on this point, people rumored that he went to Japan and learn how to stalk women even more in Japan. But I haven't found any information on that. I've been trying, but there's no information or any concrete proof of that. I could say that this is a plausibility that he actually honed his skills in Japan, but most likely he had a regular military experience and he was honorably discharged at the age of 25. Now, when he came back to Wichita on the age of 25, the whole community missed him. Mind you, like I said, again, William was him become a pillar in the community with the church, doorsmanship. The community missed him when he came back. They didn't really have that sentiment because he was so selfish and thinking about the void and the, the fantasies that he has had and how he was able to fulfill them. All in all, he had a normal experience in the military and a normal experience in life. Pretty mediocre because he didn't really reach to be very high expectation, but it's a very everyday average Joe expectation on most people. Later, his mother worked at an IGA supermarket. In that job, he will meet his future wife, Paula Dietz. Now, Paula states that he was a very gentlemanly, nice person, and they hit it off. And a year later, they will have a son and get married through that. This We'll start working at this aerospace manufacturing firm called Cessna. Everything was looking up for Dennis. He was 28. He turned 28. The very same company that gave him the upswing him off. And it applied a lot of pressure to Dennis. In this case, I will understand Dennis' frustration. He married. He formed family. The kid on the way. He needs to get his shit together. Most guys in that situation will feel the same pressure. Most of us, yeah, will fuss and fight and curse at the sky or or you know, that woe is me victimhood mentality. So we have to wake up from that and be like, okay, we have to go on to the next thing. We have to provide for the family, even if it means downgrading a job title just to get us by. But for Dennis, it wasn't the case. See, Dennis thought that the world was against him. Again, the woe is me victimhood mentality that he has. Started taking out his aggression by stealing, vandalizing, breaking and entering destroying people's property because he's a child 
and he's an attention whore. In this case, it will continue to escalate. So much so, it started to escalate to the point of murder. Let me introduce you guys to the Otero family. Joseph and Julio Otero, a Puerto Rican family based from Harlem, New York. It's a five children, Charlie, Josie, Joey, Danny, and Carmen. Joseph was part of the military. The family bounced around all over the world. Later, Joseph will get an offer of Cookfield. Later moved to 803 North Edgemore Street. Joseph and the family were tough and respected. Joseph himself a golden glove boxer and a black belt in martial arts. Also, his kids will follow suit. Dennis will have his run-in with the family one day as he was giving his wife a ride to work. Notice Julie outside with her children. Now, Dennis, what he recalls is that he was immediately infatuated with Julie. From her hair to her skin, her appearance, all he did was fantasize on hurting her. The other than what makes Dennis dangerous in the sense of his fantasies his most dangerous aspect of him is his patience he followed and remembered julie's routine for almost two months straight learning everything where she goes what routes she takes everything that's what makes dennis terrifying one day he noticed that julie had a little girl josie that really set it off for dennis because now he has two victims to fantasize about the mother and the little girl. On January 15th, 1974, he decided to prepare a kill kit with a gun, ropes, and other tools to murder both Josie and Julie. The main plan for Julie and Josie was to bring to an abandoned barn and torture and bind them and pretty much later kill them at barn because he learned the routine. Soon it would backfire. On that day, January 15th, 1974, he decided to act upon those fantasies finally. In the meantime of that day, Charlie, Danny, and Carmen all decided to go to school a little bit early. See, Charlie on that day, he had a biology test. He wanted to get there early so he can study a little bit and pass the test. And also, get out the cold because it was very cold the streets were covered in ice and it has snowed previously from the night before so took up the offer and took them to school and came right back home around 7 30 in the morning mind you this happens in the morning dennis arrives at the home and he notices something wrong immediately figures out little boy joey also at the home based off the routines that he learned from julie did not know that joseph was going to be there as well as the little boy but since he wanted to act out on his fantasies he said fuck it i'm gonna act upon them anyways even if it means to take them out now joseph was currently recovering from a car accident from a couple days before Two guys tried to run him off the street, and he had a hurt shoulder as well as a cracked rib. Josie, Joey, decided to stay a little bit later because it snowed from the day before, and Joseph was going to take them to school, so they were preparing lunch for that day. This, on the meantime, decided to enter from the back. First, what he did was to cut the telephone line. This is a tactic that he's going to use a lot. He's going to come from the back, cut the telephone line. Then later, he was going to go around from the back door and pretty much makes his presence known now joey notices that dennis was coming back and he opens the door while while the family was preparing their lunches for school this makes his appearance known and starts telling a little story saying that he was a fugitive from california 
that he needed food, that he needed money, water, and a car because he was on the run. You give him all those things, and basically he will leave. Now, this is also a little tactic that Dennis uses to put people at ease, to catch him off guard, kind of showing that he isn't so much of a threat. So if, on the other hand, kind of sees him as more of a joke first thinks that it's a prank that one of his brothers trying to pull on him but immediately dennis pulls out a gun points it at the family and pretty much solidifies his motives this full of adrenaline points the gun at the family and forces them to go to the living room and later to the bedroom the moment of clarity pours onto dennis after he bombed the entire family he will place a plastic bag over joseph and joey and will commence to strangle julie and josie Joseph, being the fighter that he is, chews out the bag and starts yelling and screaming. This reacts quickly. There's another bag over Joseph and puts a rope around the neck. To evade the same trouble that he had with Joseph with Joey, what he does is he places a shirt, another bag, and another shirt on top of Joey and then binds his neck with another piece of rope. Really somewhat this is that he just bound Joey and Joseph. And she starts screaming. She starts screaming. Joey starts screaming as well as Josie. is having enough with the screaming. Places a rope around Julie's neck. Places his knee behind shoulder blades. And pulls snuffing out her life. In the meantime you can hear Joseph's life slowly gripping away. Eventually he passes out. Lack of air later dies. Joey and Josie notices the lifeless body of both their parents and they start screaming. Joey being so bound with plastic bags over his head slowly starts gasping for air. This slowly walks up onto Joey, tightens the rope around his neck, grabs a chair and watches him lose his life. Dennis will look at Josie's direction. Josie is mourning the death of her family and asks Josie if there was a camera so that way he can record the events. Josie, trembling, says no. Josie, trembling with fear, noticing that her family is no longer alive, asks Dennis, what's going to happen to her? Dennis condescendingly says she's going to heaven with her family and points a gun at her and forces her way down to the basement. The basement, only is it cold, not only is it somewhat wet, it's an ideal place because it has a pole in the center of the basement. There, he takes the remaining rope that he has and ties it up into a lasso, places it over Josie's neck, and hangs her. Hangs her so high that her feet are no longer touching the ground. Dennis will start down her underwear, later pleasure himself, climax. Dennis will start to rejoice because he finally succeeded living his fantasy. That will soon end. See, once the euphoria ends on basically annihilating an entire family, he gets nervous. Now, it's right now, pretty much annihilated an entire family of four. He, once the euphoria, after he realized his dream, anxiousness arose so he kind of noticed that he left a lot of evidence throughout the entire household he started cleaning up he started placing things in weird places to throw off the police he took mr otero's wristwatch as well as the car keys and a radio kind of like a tip of the hat from the cutter family murders also turned up the temperature in the house so the face can decompose a little bit faster that happened jumped into the car drove like a bat out of hell almost hit a pedestrian drove all the way down to a dylan's supermarket the car walked all the way back to the otero's house threw the keys on the roof jumped in his car and went home
like nothing happened. For the sake of the family right now, they're all considered, in my eyes, like fighters. They did fight. They did yell. They tried to help as much as they could. Joseph probably might have felt some type of way. Him being a fighter, a Golden Glove fighter, a black belt, did a lot. Little that he can do. So don't really shame them. At the same time, it was blindsided. 7.30 in the morning. Everybody was just trying to get ready for work and get ready for school. It was no one's fault. It was just this dumbass person who is really selfish and just wanted things to go down his way and i don't blame any one of them they they really were fighters each and every single one of them approximately around 3 30 p.m charlie comes back from school he kind of noticed a lot of things odd they had a german shepherd mixed dog named lucky and he was always inside the house but during the murders let him out and he was barking and whimpering about which is super weird when charlie came around he came inside the house first thing that he noticed was his mother's purse was on the stove probably dennis leaving random items all over the house to throw off the police from there herman was the one that stumbled onto the bodies started yelling for charlie to call the police he tried to call the police he noticed that there's no dial tone and dennis's way of cutting communication by cutting off the telephone lines. Both ran to the neighbor's house, called the police. Then on, received news that they found both the bodies of Joey and Josie. Joey being in the same room of the mother and the father, and Josie being in the basement, hung by her neck. Now, the psychology of Dennis not only stems from narcissism, but it also stems off from OCD. You can probably tell he's pretty organized. Uh, he really planned out the entire Otero attack uh, by waiting patiently for two months, learning routines and everything. But also he acts on impulse as well. Time passes, his fetishes grow a little bit more. That he starts doing now is driving around with index cards with descriptions of women and everything. All the fantasies all, all written down on index cards. It starts driving around fantasizing on torturing and binding these fictitious women as well as he starts experimenting more with bondage as well so as time progresses you're gonna see a little bit more of the upscale of not only uh his fantasies but his self-gratification it's this type of serial killer that he will have long periods of cool down time like he will not kill nobody for a long period of time. But for now, he's just more experimenting on self-bondage and just living the fantasy. Again, with Dennis, he is what most people in true crime call a proto-serial killer or a proto-self-aware serial killer. He starts taking tidbits from other serial killers, from the Zodiac Killer, from the Son of Sam, uh, Ted of the West Coast, a.k.a. Ted Bundy, and things like that. Anything that he can grab hold of any information from other people committing the same crimes he will start implementing more and more of that kind of not only like a tip of the hat but kind of showing them that he's better than them and he's better than the law enforcement trying to go after them with the murder the oteros in the back burner he is now starting to look for his next victim now at this point in time his life is pretty much at an upswing now, at this point in time Dennis is currently still trying to find a job, so he tries to better himself a little bit by going to college, learning uh, criminal justice. April of 1974, three months 
after the murder of the Oteros, he spots Catherine Bright, 21-year-old woman. But unlike his last murder, this one was more based on impulse. So with Catherine, it was a little bit different. He didn't scope out the place. He did not whatsoever plan it was just based off impulse. It was during the middle of lunch. It was at 12 p.m. during a class exchange. So he was just changing classes from one to another, spotted her, and thought it was a great idea to make her the next victim. So he pretty much gathered all the things that he had previously on hand and did the same thing he did with the Oteros. Now, the thing that he did not account for was that Catherine was with her little brother, Kevin Bright. Kevin Bright at the time was 19 years old. He did not care. He was going to throw with it the same way that the Oteros happened. He went over, did the same spiel, saying that he was a criminal from California on the run that needed money, water, food, and a car. But almost immediately, he pulls out a gun on both of them. He pulls out the gun, points it at Kevin, forces him to tie up Catherine, and then he ties up Kevin and immediately starts strangling Catherine. Now, like the Oteros, he didn't really tie up Kevin too tight, so he was able to out of his knots and everything. Pretty much attack Dennis. At first, he starts attacking Dennis. Dennis pulls out a gun. He pulls out the gun. He managed to get the gun away from Dennis and tries to shoot Dennis. But since Dennis knows that gun very well, he puts his finger in between the hammer. So that way, when he does fire, only hits the bed of his fingernail. Once that happens, Dennis fights the gun away from Kevin and proceeds to shoot him in the face. Kevin, just like Joseph, is a fighter. So even though he did go down, Dennis did turn around and continue to strangle Catherine. He got right back up and started fighting Dennis again. Started fighting for the gun, fighting. But Dennis, again, overpowered Kevin. Now Kevin's a little bit weaker. But Dennis picks up the gun and shoots him again in the face. Dennis, thinking that Kevin is already dead, starts to strangle Catherine even more. Kevin somehow, some shape, some way, some form, musters up the energy to get up from his conscious state. Stir enough energy to run out the door and start screaming for help. Now, noticing that his time was pretty much up at that point, this is the only time Dennis decides to stab a person to death to kind of just end the murder whatsoever, to end the murder, at least at his terms. So he starts to commence to stab Catherine and pretty much leaves. Dennis claims that this murder was an absolute disaster and not go any way he wanted it to go, like the Oteros. Oteros was well thought out and he knew what to do, even got rid of William Joseph, uh, I guess you can say in a meaningful manner or a timely manner but in this case it was just during a class exchange and just attacked in this case in this murder it was a complete disaster but it did do one thing for dennis it confirmed and finally solidified that he was a serial killer the headlines of the murders hit the wichita eagle and the people of wichita are going insane they're going crazy because there's this serial killer walking around and no one know who he is and the police has yet to find out who he is now, the fbi 
and law enforcement are trying to still find suspects for the Otero family. Believe that they're connected to a drug cartel, a drug deal gone wrong. They were going around all the places the Oteros were at when they were in the military. Uh, the last place being Panama and then their home place of being Puerto Rico. They did not find any connection whatsoever because they were well respected everywhere they went. So they had no leads whatsoever. But they did suspect three people in that county that were suspected drug dealers and also people who admitted, quote unquote, for publicity's sake, that they did the murder. They felt like they were taking credit. He was the one that did all those crimes. And because of that, he sends a letter to the Wichita Eagle. I'm going to read this letter. This letter is badly worded. And it's there's a reason why it's badly worded. So he's starting to take little things here from the Zodiac Killer. So if you know the Zodiac Killer letters, it was all jumbled up, misspelled, kind of making him seem more insane. And Dennis is taking that little tidbit from it on this letter so the way i read it is the way he wrote it and the only reason why he did it this way it was just because in case if he were ever to get captured on the spot right now it would look like he was insane so he can get an insanity plea but here's the letter i write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself with no one's help. There has no talk either. Let's put this straight. I'm sorry this happened to society. There are the ones who suffer the most. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hangup. When this monster enter my brain, I will never know. But... It is here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they'll laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it so the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams or some victim being tortured and being mine. It is a big complicated game, my friend. Of the monster playing, putting victims down, follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he runs the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen the next victim or victims. I don't who they are yet. The next day I read the paper, I will know, but it is too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guiltily p.s since sex criminals do not change their mo or by nature cannot do so i will not change mine the code word for mine will be bind them torture them kill them btk you see he added again they will be on the next victim now based on the letter he says something about mo's it will never change here's the thing mo's change signatures don't so with an MO, basically their modus operandi or how they operate, that's flexible. And it is flexible because look at the Otero murders. It was well thought out. He had a plan. He was well prepared. He scoped them out for two months, knew who to attack. Yeah, 
Joseph and Joey were there, but he took them out and much lived his fantasy. Now with the Catherine Wright murders, it wasn't well thought out. It was based off impulse. He stabbed her. Not the same MO, but the signature stays the same. He still bound them. He still tortured them. He still killed them. So his signature stays the same. The MO is flexible with every single serial killer or even a one-time killer. Their MO is very flexible. Their signature always stays the same. Now, at this now, at the meantime, not only is the letter out causing panic all over Wichita. At this point, Dennis is now starting to use terms and ways to organize his crimes a little bit better. Uh, one of those terms that he used is strolling or scrolling, basically stalking. He is going around trying to find his next victim. Once he finds a victim, he deems it a project. So a project is considered his potential next victim. Now, he has this thing called Factor X. Now, Factor X is kind of, I, I see it more as an excuse, but it's basically his way of saying, like, yes, th this is the reason why I will commit this murder. Um, also, as well, he'll start making a list of potential victims, and they all have to fit a certain requirement. So now he has set rules, like, he will try to evade impulsivity, but he will have set rules for everything. Number one, it has to be a woman. No, if, ands, or buts about it. If they do have children, they have to be small so he can overpower them and kill them. If they are with a husband, he will try to hit the husband first or kill the husband first, get them out the way first, and then go after the woman. And also, they will have to have a predictable routine with an easy accessible escape route so that way law enforcement cannot go after Dennis. And if you're on this list regardless, it could change because again, his MO will change. His signature will never. He might say he might stay organized, but if the impulse will come, he will stray away from that list entirely and go after somebody totally different. And you'll see it from here. So you guys might notice that he doesn't really essays anybody. He pretty much just binds them and tortures them and kills them. He feels like essaying a, a woman or anybody is not beneath him, but he feels like he's not man enough to do it. That he's he can get off just by the image of them being tortured. And for that, he also seems like he's sort of a coward he doesn't like to touch women unless it's strangling but other than that he does not essay any woman now dennis has gone almost two years without killing a person just like how i said before reliving those scenes that he did with the otero and catherine and also experimenting more with self-bondage uh his life right now is actually out of big upswing. Uh, he's no longer unemployed. He's working with ADT and ADT on this point. It wasn't their fault. He, they didn't know they had a psychopath working for them. Pretty much trained him on how to scope people's houses out because he was the guy that was implementing house securities and house security kits all over the neighborhood. So it just amplified his 
projects and all his other stuff a little bit more. He just became a little bit more organized in that sense. Now that he's a little bit more organized and more methodical in his ways, he always runs around with a kill kit, always ready, just in case if somebody piques his interest. Now, everybody in Wichita right now, like I said, is going insane. They're checking telephone lines before and after they come back from work. Uh, they're checking on people. They're buying dogs. They're buying locks. They're buying guns. There's also an account of a woman who literally stayed asleep with a shotgun next to her bed just in case the BTK killer were to come in her door. She would just shoot the BTK killer, which is even more insane in the sense of Dennis because... He doesn't give a fuck. He will just go inside the house regardless. So if he went to the wrong house and went to a house that was actually prepared for him, he would have been dead the moment he walked in. But luckily for him, the ADT training and scoping people out, he probably knew who was more equipped to fight him. He kind of knew off bat not to go there. So on March 17, 1977, his impulses and his urge to kill rises again. A couple days before that date, he met this woman named Cheryl at the bar. And she fit everything on the list and knew her address. So he decided she's the one to go. But what happened? When he arrived to her house, Cheryl wasn't there. But that did not stop him. Again, his impulses are up. He needs he needs it out of his system. So he starts prowling around, scrolling around, trying to find the next victim. He meets little Steve Relford. Now, Steve was going to the market to get a can of chicken noodle soup for his mother, Cheryl Vine. But she was currently sick at the moment. Dennis stops Steve and starts asking him questions. Because Dennis also carries around a fake police badge. Too much asking a little five-year-old if he saw this dog or if he saw these kids, and he held pictures of his own kids. Steve, and Steve being five, he said no, like he doesn't know anything about that and that he needs to go back home because his mother was sick. He let Steve walk up a little bit more in front of him, and Dennis started behind him. But once Dennis followed him all the way home, he knocked on the door, and Steve opened the door again. Now, mind you, Steve is five. Steve is five years old, so he doesn't know what the hell's going on. He starts asking the same questions. Have you seen this dog? Have you seen these kids? And he pulls up the picture again, and Steve again says no. Dennis forces himself inside the house, lowers the blind, and turns off the TV. The commotion that the kids were doing, and Steve asking him to leave. Early Vine comes out from the room, sick as hell, Asking, who the hell are you? Why are you doing here? And Dennis, instead of replying, he just pulls out a gun. Dennis asks Shirley to take the kids to the bathroom and bring a set of toys because he doesn't want to be distracted. Shirley does exactly what Dennis asked. The towel full of toys to the bathroom brings the kids to the bathroom and locks the door. On top of that, Dennis moves the bed from where it's at to the bathroom door so that way it's permanently locked the thing about dennis dennis does things that kind of calm you down in a way which is 
fucking weird and it's also be at the same time so he gives her two cigarettes and a glass of water to kind of calm her down and then proceeds to duct tape her hands behind her back then places a bag over her head with the rope around her neck and starts using this strangle and let go method to kind of see her go in and out of consciousness now steve is in the bathroom he is fighting his way out and by doing that, he sees glimpses of his mother going in and out of consciousness while you see this man rejoicing the fact that he's killing this woman. Shirley Vine starts slowly losing her life. He will start pleasuring himself on one of Shirley's underwear that he found and start spreading semen all over the place. Steve, on the other hand, on the other side of the bathroom, is seeing everything. He's five, so he's traumatized. Dennis realizes that Shirley is about to die. He was about to focus his attention to the kids, but then the phone rang, and Dennis got scared. He didn't have any time to clean up, so what he did is he just left and left the kids in the bathroom. A couple hours later, Eve's dad approaches the door, and he finds Shirley Vine's dead body and finds the kids in the bathroom changing Steve's life forever. Now, months have passed, and Dennis' urge to kill rises again. Dennis states, since he's a serial killer and is a self-aware serial killer, that serial killers normally become obsessed with their victims. Dennis's case is kind of weird because at one, here's the thing. He always kind of contradicts himself because at one moment he'll say, you know, he's really well prepared, he's very organized, he wants to make things a little bit too perfect, and then he runs on impulses, and the next moment he's saying like, oh, you know, they have to fit this requirement, but now you're telling me you also have to be obsessed with your victim. So in the case of Nancy Fox, he becomes obsessed with her. So obsessed that he starts following her around. Now Nancy, Nancy Fox is a typical girl that most girls can identify with she works two jobs very independent trying to just make ends meet and to that dennis was euphoric for some odd reason this sometimes will go to her stores because she worked at a jewelry store uh, especially during busy hours during christmas and just watch her just to make himself feel comfortable make him feel like nancy is the correct person to commit this crime and he felt like it was the correct time to commit this crime this does the most creepiest thing makes him just a monster basically goes to her house as i go through the front door this is that the front door and open proceeds to go to the back door the phone line is an entranceway to go inside the house inside the house it just waits she gets out of work when nancy comes in through the front door she immediately goes into the kitchen starts preparing things for herself to eat and Dennis springs into action springs out a gun and this time he changes his little speech that he does in the beginning now he's saying that he's a pervert that he's a weirdo that he has sexual impulses that he has to take care of and that Nancy's the only person that can take care of that Nancy thinking this is probably an essay attempt plays the game with Dennis and they start talking for a while and Nancy's smoking cigarettes and everything just trying to play along the game because all she wants to do is to get this over with to call the police and then get him arrested but she doesn't know that Dennis has other things in plan so during the conversation 
Nancy asks Dennis to go use the bathroom. Dennis says, once you come out, just make sure that you're completely naked. Comes out the bathroom, lays down, gets handcuffed, and later tied up. Does the exact same thing he did with Shirley Vine, which is the let go strangle method. So he will strangle and let go and just watch her go in and out of consciousness. On December 8th, 1977 was the day that Nancy Fox died. And on this date also, Dennis is what he proclaims the perfect murder because he got away with everything. He 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 liked the fact that he was able to wait. He liked the fact that he was able to play this mental game with her. Oh, everything's going to be okay when in actuality it's not. Got her to play the game a little bit the way he wanted to. Strangles her, pleasures himself. And then just leaves. They did not find the body till two days later. And the way they find the body is even more monstrous. Because on the day he decided to go to work, he stopped at a payphone and called 911. And in the 911 call, he pretty much explains to the dispatcher that there's a dead body in Nancy Fox's duplex. But then tech. K-A-K-E-T-V, Cake TV, and tell him exactly what he did, and send the Wichita Eagle a poem, what he did. The poem, it says, Oh, death to Nancy, what is that I can see? Cold, icy hands taking hold of me. For death has come, you all can see. Hell has opened its gates, trick me. Death, oh, death, can't you spare me? For, for another year, I'll stuff your jaws till you can't talk. I'll bind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can't make a stand. And finally, I'll close your eyes so you can't see me. I'll bring sexual death onto you for me. BTK. Now, this poem is ass. It, I don't know. It, it's just weird. But also, he's taking tidbits of the Son of Sam. Son of Sam was actually really well known to making poems. And his poems are actually, like, low-key good. And... He is just making shit up, just trying to make himself seem like a genius and a psychopath. Well, the first letter seemed like the Zodiac Killer. Now this one sounds like the Son of Sam. In all, Dennis, although monster in private, he is a boring guy in public. He is very boring. Again, cub master, uh, church member, pretty boring. But now he has taken out seven people. He take on out the Otero family. He took out Shirley Vine. He took out Nancy Fox. Now that he has gone through seven people and literally in a span of a, probably a couple years, two of them within three months of each other, and then a couple of them within a couple months of each other before the end of the year of 1977, goes down to a cooldown period, which is unheard of serial killers they'll go off a couple months maybe a year but he can go up to 10 years without killing anybody so he goes down a cool down period when no one hears from him around this time he's just basically being a father now the fbi has made files on him by saying that he has no job he works at upper middle class level he is a virgin has never been with a woman probably gay making all these weird assumptions about him which was totally wrong at that time the only things that it was correct were his signatures his signatures were binding torture and killing him but his 
character profile, his actual self was absolutely wrong in that sense. And now he, at, at this time with this cooldown period, he will also start doing weird things. So he'll do things like motel parties. So he'll go to motels and start wearing stolen underwear that he has found or the underwear from victims that he had previously. He will start wearing masks with feminine features, so with makeup and wigs and things like that. He will amplify his bondage. Uh, he will start binding himself with ropes and chains in front of mirrors and start taking pictures of himself. And pretty much during that time, he will also have points of clarity, kind of knowing like, hey, I think I'm a monster and will try to kill himself. But then he'll be like, no, uh, I got to see this through. He'll just snap right out of it and go back into his delusion and into his fantasies. He did this for years. He did this for years. So he will kind of like self-gratify himself for all the things that he's done. Like the little trophies that he has taken, like the watch and everything. He will like flash it in front of mirrors and things like that. Kind of just reminiscing over the things that he has done and kind of patting himself on the back. So you may also be asking, so what is the local police doing? And they're trying their best at this point. This is the 1970s. So the way they gather evidence wasn't as proficient as it is today. Good thing is that with every BTK case, they did most of the evidence that had semen on it. They felt like it could be important. And it is important because at that time, DNA evidence wasn't really as proficient. What they can do is only find the blood type. And lucky for Dennis, he hit the genetic lottery and became a non-secretor. So basically a non-secretor is somebody who can't be detected in the sense of blood type. But sooner or later, as time goes on, that totally changes. It doesn't matter if you're a non-secretor anymore. Go through the process to find something else on you. Make sure that you're the suspect. And on 1974, with the help of the FBI, John Douglas, with the character profile. Again, the character profile, wrong in the sense of what he's dead. But with his apparandi, get him spot on on the reasons what he's doing and, the, and why he's doing it. That's spot on. And... They also start making a task force. The first task force is the hot dog squad. And then it will later change to the Ghostbusters in 1984. And yes, it's because of the movie. And they consider BTK a ghost. But in my honest opinion, it's just because they wanted to sound like the Ghostbusters. Also try to follow imprints and Xerox. So the letter that he sent first, actually of a copy, what Dennis would do is he will be the letter to another college, copy of that letter, and then he'll go to another college and make a copy of that letter. So you will never get the original letter. You'll get a copy of a copy of a copy, and then he'll just send it to you. So that way nothing will link back to him. And since BTK also stated his signature, not his ML, but his signature again, that binding and torturing and killing is part of his signature. Anytime a crime involving rope or anything that involves any form of the three or combination of the three, it's automatically considered a BTK case. Like I stated, TK go years without killing a person. Now, 1985, the last time he killed somebody was in 1977. So close to 
what, to 10 years without playing anybody. And Dennis Moment is 40 years old, so he's a little bit older now. But his urges arise. Dennis, right now, is living the American dream, having a loving family. But right now, Dennis is living the dream. But it wasn't enough for him. And at this moment, he was very well entrenched and established in the cup masters because he's a cup master for the cup scouts it came to kill marnie hedge it was a little bit more difficult because now this is the first murder where he had to establish an alibi marnie neighbor pretty much down the street from where he lives he was a 53 year old kind old woman that lived in the area for almost 30 years so everybody knew who she was and Dennis decided to have the balls to kill her. The one thing about living in the area for 30 years and living down the street from serial killer, he knew her entire routine way before he put her on the list. So he knew everything that she was going. She, he knew that she was alone. He knew that she was a lot older, so it was a lot easier for him to overpower her everything her but he also needed an alibi at that moment dennis was actually in the middle of a cub scout meeting out in the middle of the wilderness and he started to complain that he had a headache decided to go to the city with some medicine his headache this very moment dennis right now was in the middle of a cub meeting being a cub master with the cub scouts and he started complaining about a headache and that he needed to go home, get medicine for the headache. Most of the time when people have headaches or whatever, they either bring the pills with them. But even if somebody were to say like, bring the medicine with them, just say normal person will go, fuck it, go, go to the fucking pharmacy, go home. Dennis also is, again, like I stated before, a woe is me victim type person. He will amplify everything. He is a nuisance. He makes everything all about himself. So I would imagine in the middle of the woods with this fucking weirdo complaining about his headaches and somebody just went, fuck it, Dennis, just go, go home, get your pills. Who cares? I pretty much gave him the green light to go and kill Marnie. Well, instead of going home for the pills, we all know that he does not have a headache, goes into a bowling alley and starts drinking beer. Once he figures out that Marnie was gonna be at her house, he goes out, pours some beer on himself, calls a taxi, and pretends to be drunk. A lot of work for that. It, it Like, to think about that is kind of weird, but I guess, maybe because he wanted to disguise himself as a drunk, but he really did not need to do anything like that. He could actually play the patient game or the way he did with nancy where he waited in the house and everything but i don't get why he needed to play this whole drunk angle maybe to solidify another alibi in case of somebody asked like what were you doing at this time well dennis was at the bowling alley getting drunk and he was drunk taxi driver can say yeah he was drunk he smelled like beer so he probably was doing that just to get off on of something it will contradict itself because if somebody were to ask any of the cub masters in the cub meeting it would be like he went home some headache pills and he just never came back in that case it would not be so detrimental because he can say that he's a drunk or something like that or needed a beer and he kind of be around kids so he decides to pour some beer on himself and go straight 
not straight, but towards Marnie's house. And the same thing happens. He goes into the back, he cuts the phone lines, and goes through the back door. Dennis, again, not realizing that there was another man in the house. Didn't play well Doteros when there were a man and a little boy in the house. Mind you, at that time, this was 28 years old, so he was kind of wiry. Dennis is 40, so he's a little bit older, so he's not going to take down another full-grown man. So what he does is, what he does best, be patient. So he goes inside the room, just waits Marnie to go to sleep. Once the man left and Marnie just heading off into sleep, Dennis just turns on the lights, jumps onto the bed, and starts strangling Marnie. Once he starts strangling Marnie, and like I stated, his M.O. changes. Other ones were bound, tortured, and killed. Okay? Marnie was not even bound. He just was trying to go to sleep and just took advantage of her old age and just choked her out. He took her body, put her in the trunk of her car, stole her car, drove her all the way down to his church, took the body out, drug her body into the church basement, and started posing and taking pictures of her in the basement of his church. Let that sink in. Then when he was done, took the body, put her back in the trunk of the car, and just dumped her body somewhere near her house uh, along the side of the road, and that's where they found her. So Dennis, even though it started out like his perfect murder, he pretty much finished it off by doing the most, I, I think the most batshit out-of-pocket thing that I think I ever heard in my fucking life, which is dragging a dead body, posing it, and then in the middle of a church, in a church basement, which is fucking insane. Yeah, that's what Dennis did. Years passed. Dennis urged to kill bubbles up again. He, right now, it's September of 1986. And Dennis found a new victim again. Now he targets a young 28-year-old Vicky. This one know about Vicky because this is one of his victims that he picked out while he was prowling the streets. So as Dennis was prowling the area, he noticed Vicky's house because she was always playing the piano. And he loved the way she played the piano. Uh, Vicky was a mother of two and married to a man named Bill Wurgle. Around 10 a.m. on September 16th, this would notice Vicky alone at the house and he portrayed himself as a repairman, kind of making an inspection inside the house. What Vicky didn't notice is that the moment that Dennis was inside the house, he was just playing around as the repairman, and he was cutting the phone lines. Once he started cutting the phone lines and started playing around like he was a very good handyman and a repairman, he just posted up a gun on Vicky. The same thing in this case, Vicky fought back. Again, Vicky was 28, a little bit more wiry than Dennis because Dennis is old. He's only 41 at this point. Started biting and scratching and fighting for her life. Fortunately, he got the rope and drew out to death, stopped the fight entirely. After her death, he started taking pictures and posing her in front of her kids because, mind you, they were just one and two at the time started posing her in front of the kids taking pictures so he can reminisce later on he left the premise using their car not only was he out of pocket intended to be a repairman was out of pocket posing body in front of the kids he was even more out of pocket by just 
taking the car with no disguise, no nothing. People saw him in the street, but no one will ever notice because, again, he wasn't somebody he could who could stand out because he could really blend in with the with with everybody. He looked like an everyday man. Now, while this was going on, he goes inside the house and he notices Vicky's body, calls the ambulance, and as the ambulance was taking her body to the hospital and as the ambulance was taking the body to the hospital he unfortunately passes away in the meantime dennis was actually in the opposite direction in a way single evidence that he could no. because bill was the one that found vicky law enforcement bill was the actual suspect even though bill was absolutely innocent and that dennis did this condemned bill pretty much quickly prosecuted him everybody hated him and made him the suspect of his wife's murder he knew damn well that he was not the killer. But for 18 years, from 1986 onward, they believed that Bill was the killer of Vicky and not BTK. It wasn't until later, once BTK got captured, when kind of him from being a suspect. Again, times have passed. Again, like I said, this year is 1991. His previous murder was in 1986. Five years have passed. And now Dennis is looking more towards older women. Now he's a little bit more older now. He decides to go after a 62-year-old woman, Dolores Davis. Like every other woman, she is the test in the sense of she checks off all the boxes on the list. Now, if you notice, as the years go by, he goes after older or semi-older women, except for Vicky, but semi-older women. He doesn't want to go through a fight like the one Vicky had with him. But on January 19th, 1991, in another master cub meeting, decides to kill. So, on January 19th, 1991, Dennis sets his sights on Dolores Davis. He actually lives on one mile down the road from his parents' house. So she's really well known within the neighborhood. And Dennis, again, having this urge to kill, wanting to get these urges out, takes her out from, from the bunch because not only does she check off every list on the checklist that he currently has, he deems her easy because she's older now. So on that day, on January 19th, 1991, Dennis was actually at a cub meeting because again, he is a cub master and he excuses himself from that meeting. He then proceeds to drive all the way to his parents' house. Once he goes to this parents' house, he changes clothes and he decides to finish the mission or his project on foot. Dennis, being the patient asshole that he is, he waited outside and waited for her to fall asleep. He came through the back cut the phone lines, and threw a cement block in the back door so that way he can get in. Dolores heard the ruckus and ran straight to the bedroom. And Dennis pretty much proceeded to say the same thing that he said to Catherine, said the same thing that he said to the Oteros, that he was a fugitive, he's on the run, he needed water, he needed food, and immediately proceeded to strangle her. See, with this event, he didn't seem like he was rejoicing a lot. It seemed like he was actually just trying to get this urge out of him. So he didn't really do all the crazy stuff that he did with the other murders. He pretty much did the same thing what he did with Marnie, put her in the trunk of the car, drove her down near a lake, and just dumped her body. 
came back to his parents' house, changed back into a Cubmaster's uniform, drove back to the Cubmaster meeting, did his whole thing over there, and once it was done, back to Dolores' body and just took pictures of her. This right now is an old, feeble man. It's an old, feeble man. He doesn't have the stamina. He doesn't have the youth. He still has the urges, but he isn't as agile and as youthful as he was back in the day. But 30 years have passed since his last murder. At this point, Dennis is pretty much scot-free. The only thing is, as the years go by, close to 30 years now, he thought he was going to be some sort of Jack the Ripper type person, this Jack the Ripper reputation. But no, he wasn't. He never got that. He was just a murderer that just got away for 30 years. And as time went on, people forgot about BTK. Till the Wichita Eagle decided to throw out a 30-year anniversary talking about all the cold case murders that the BTK was involved with. What they know, there were only seven. But in all in all, there were actually 10 murders that he has committed. January 2004... He decides to announce himself to the Wichita Eagle saying that not only is he still alive, but he's going to kill again. And by saying that he's going to kill again, he also wants his credit for all the murders that he has committed. So three months later on March 19, 2004, he decides to send a little care package to the Wichita Eagle. And in that care package, it shows the license of Vicky Wargle. Like I said before, they thought that Bill was actually the suspected killer for Vicky Wargle. Showing this license kind of confirmed that BTK was actually really responsible for the death of Vicky Wargle. And pretty much it made Bill pretty much clear and clear him out as a suspect for that murder. And as the months go by, his thirst of attention didn't really subside. On May 5th, 2004, he actually had the balls to send a manuscript of all the detailed things that he has done to people because he wanted to be in a biography for some odd reason. Again, to try to get that reputation of a Jack the Ripper now. And typical Dennis wanting attention. From December 13th, 2004 to January 25th, 2005, he will start dropping little cereal boxes all around the city uh, that are considered his, uh, he would consider like puzzle boxes. And the answer to all of them, I'll make the name BTK. And inside of them, he'll have little dolls or little drawings depicting the murders that he has committed. And on one day, he decided to drop off a little cereal box at the flatbed of a car in a Home Depot. A Home Depot employee actually found the box and called the authorities. The authorities picked up the box and also looked at the security camera, saw that there was a gray Jeep Wrangler in the security camp. So now they have a glimpse of who BTK was. He asked law enforcement if it was okay for him to send a floppy disk and that he won't be tracked. Law enforcement lied. They did send a little article on the newspaper where he can read saying that it was okay to send the floppy disk and they arranged a day so that way Dennis can drop a floppy disk for the police. And in that floppy disk, he just had a whole bunch of ramblings and details again from the murders. But all in all, what the police force was trying to get was the metadata from the floppy disk. So on February 16, 2005, 
a cyber cop named Randy Stone actually meddling with the floppy disk trying to get the metadata. It was an actual intense moment for the police force because they've been trying to get this guy for almost 30 years. It's just this guy just fiddling around with code and the data till he eventually finds something that links to the Christ Lutheran Church, which later links to the president of that church happens to be Schrader, a.k.a. BTK. The good thing is that the past police force actually saved a lot of the DNA evidence from the past crime scenes because they knew that they couldn't do much about it. But now that's 2004, we could. So what they did is they grabbed the DNA from the old crime scenes. Then they conducted a search warrant for the pap smear that his daughter had recently and compared the DNA with, from the daughter to old evidence and it came back positive, showing that Dennis Rader is BTK and he was the murderer that committed all those murders. On February 25th, 2005, the police knew that they had their man. So what they did is they waited till he went out on lunch break, tailed him and immediately captured him. And once he got captured, he immediately confessed to all his crimes. He was rather agitated because he felt like he got lied to because told the police force not to track him, but obviously the, the police are going to do everything. And on the following day, the Wichita Eagle announced his capture. April 19, 2005, he had a short preliminary hearing, but he didn't want to talk. So the judge himself gave him a non-guilty plea. On July 27, 2005, he actually pleads guilty. He goes into in extreme detail, 45 minutes actually, reminiscing about every single murder and how he stalked them, why he picked them as victims. And he was just trying to get an insanity plea. I'm hearing this. Only did Paula get an emergency divorce because he is a convicted murderer. It's slammed with 10 consecutive murder charges. He gets life in jail. Normally, most people will get death sentenced, but in this case, Dennis did it before the actual death sentence enactment, so he gets life in jail. As he admitted to those murders, his cockiness, oh my god, he is so fucking annoying. He pretty much asks forgiveness from all the families in which he affected. Obviously, family members probably didn't or shouldn't give him any form of forgiveness because they had no reason to be murdered the way they were murdered. Now, his family pretty much disowned him. They wrote books about him. Paula Dietz doesn't even want to know anything about him. Daughter released a book on January 29, 2019 regarding her relationships with Dennis and the outcome of her finding out that Dennis was the BTK killer. This then started to send letters to the Daily Mail stating that he was possessed by a demon called Batter and that the Factor X of that was batter was forcing him to kill these people this is the same thing as like the son of sam where he thought that the labrador was actually telling him to kill people but in all actuality it's just he was a loser and it started to kill women dennis has the same thing he's just a loser he just wanted to kill women he's just again takes no accountability whatsoever recently as of august 23rd 2023 he's also suspected of two murders from back in the day, there were two bodies found one in Oklahoma and one in Missouri. The reason why they know this is that they found old evidence under Dennis's old home. And one of them seems pretty likely from a Oklahoma woman called Cynthia Keeney. And this murder, it states that she was murdered the same way, bound, tortured, and killed back in 1976. So they're starting to bridge the gaps of time that he has had stating that probably Dennis went outside the realm 
of Kansas and started killing women around the area, not just in Wichita, but the state of Kansas itself, as well as other states like Oklahoma and Missouri. It was Shauna Beth Barber, which her body, same way, bound, tortured, killed, but this time in 1990. So a year after the death of Dolores Davis. Just recently, he was also connected to another murder. Now, this woman hasn't yet been identified, but she has been gagged, bound, and killed in an abandoned barn in Kansas. So all in all, there's a possibility of three murders on top of the 10 that he has done. One in Kansas, one in Missouri, and one in Oklahoma. Even in jail, Dennis's actions still ripple out to this day. To this modern day because this has been super recently all in all this is just a video just depicting how much of a loser and how much of a narcissist and how evil this man is willing to take out a bunch of innocent women uh innocent family just because he has urges he takes no accountability whatsoever in what he does and i hope he rots in jail that he gets buried in an unmarked grave where no one can ever find him ever 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 again if he is still alive i don't even get how someone that that sinister and that evil is still alive it's always the good people that kind of leave the earth so early but evil people stay around i don't get it i don't get why but if he is still around and he managed to see this video just Fuck you, dude. You suck. <laughs> like you fucking suck, bro. I hope I, I hope every single time you take a sip of coffee it's cold. Like it, it, you deserve so much. I don't under fucking stand it. This is my video on the BTK killer. This is my first video. So if you managed to watch it all the way through, thank you so much. It's been troubling. I've been trying my best and I hope I get better as the days go on. Please like comment subscribe and also hit that notification bell again for new videos thank you again for watching and i hope to see y'all soon in the next video thank you